let's turn to God's word now. James chapter 3 from verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for an example. Although they are so large and driven by, by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear fruit like their figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let me pray for Chris before he comes and speaks to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you that it is so clear, so practical, and Lord, you have given it to us in a language that we can read. Father, we praise you and we worship you that we can open up your word this evening. We thank you for Chris and thank you for the preparation that he's put into this passage this week. Lord God, I pray now as he comes and explains it to us. Father, I pray that you'd use him and use his words. I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say to us this evening. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, James. Good evening, everybody. Okay, so uh, it's estimated that the average human being utters between 10 and 20,000 words per day. So anybody who knows me knows I'm probably using up about half my quota for today on this one talk. But consider this fact in light of Solomon's words in Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. In which case you have 10 to 20,000 opportunities to sin a day. We're all fallen people and we utter fallen words, but we serve a communicating God. So in the latest of our series in James, what does James say about this subject? James, he addresses this sin of impure speech before tackling the problem of disputes within the church community later in the book. Nothing can destroy a fellowship more quickly than verbal abuse and gossip. 
the tongue is one of the most powerful weapons that we have, both for good and for evil. And so it's a wonder that such a small part of the body can do such great things. It can preach the word of God. It can win nations for Christ. It can glorify the name of our creator. But it can also destroy character. It can divide churches and it can kill the soul. Today's passage can be split into three sections, each looking at something beginning with P. And the first one we're going to look at is the problem of too many teachers. While this passage begins with the topic of teachers, the issue of speech unites all the verses that follow. And so it's relevant to all of us. And while you might not classify yourself as a teacher per se, you'll probably find yourself in a position of influence and authority over other people. Verse one says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So not many should presume themselves to be teachers because teachers will receive a stricter judgment. In first century synagogues, teachers were very influential and prominent. And such a role would sometimes draw those who would want influence and prominence for themselves. It would be very easy for prospective leaders in the Christian churches at the time to have the same mindset. And in a similar way today, our culture tends to overvalue the more extrovert and public gifts and to over-admire those who possess and exercise them. James's teaching it seeks to help churches by exposing unqualified teachers and highlighting the gravity of being a teacher. Would-be teachers should not presume themselves to be worthy, but take seriously the weighty responsibility that this role and the stricter judgment that it incurs. It'd be really foolish, wouldn't it, to entrust a fully laden merchant ship into the hands of an inexperienced sea captain. Imagine the chaos, like paying dodgems with the sides of the Suez Canal, uh, risking sinking your ship. But in this example, the main loss is a material one. But in the church, by contrast, the loss caused by inept and inexperienced handling of people will be eternal. So no wonder James writes, not many of you should become teachers. Teachers should certainly guard their speech. They are especially vulnerable to failures of speech because their role demands that they speak so much. More words means more errors and no one is exempt. As James notes in verse two, we all stumble in many ways. Note the use of we, he doesn't exclude himself. No one can reach the ideal of sinless speech. So every teacher risks doing damage to those who follow them. This said, the more mature believer has a greater control over their tongue. Who is it that you look up to? Is one of the attributes a better reign on their tongue? Right speech is a foremost sign of Christian maturity. Those of us who are young or less mature would do well to aspire to better speech, as do the teachers who instruct them. As James continues, he uses three analogies to illustrate the influence of the tongue. 
And these highlight the potential of speech, which is our second point. James's example likened the tongue to both a horse's bit and a ship's rudder. Though small, they exert influence seemingly out of proportion to their size. In these verses, the analogies are at least neutral, if not positive. The tongue can do great things. It can do great good. So the first look to verse three, where it says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So you see the tongue rests in the human mouth, much as the bit rests in the horse's mouth. And in both cases, a small thing moves and controls a large body. And similarly on in verse four, it says, we'll take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. The tongue, it's like a rudder of a ship. Just as a small part of a ship, the rudder, turns the hull, so the tongue has great influence on the whole person. The metaphorical rudders in life around us are crucial too. Think of the positive effect that a guardian or a teacher uh, can bring you. Conversely, a misdirected chief officer can wreak havoc on an organization. A heedless pastor can decimate a church. It's very difficult, but we can and must control the tongue, for it's the rudder for human life. The first part of verse five links these analogies to the tongue. We read on, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. The tongue, it might have good reason to boast, because it, though it's small, it has the ability to accomplish great things. However, to, however, humans' primary cause for boasting, namely self-centered pride, is a major misuse of the tongue. For it merely draws attention to ourselves and doesn't bring glory to God. The verses that follow show the predominant potential for speech to be negative rather than positive. In verse three, four, they give in five to seven. The tongue is compared to a destructive fire, a corrupter of the whole body, and a world of unrighteousness. Using these images, James warns us that the tongue has influence towards contamination and destruction, rather than blessing and edification. In the latter part of verse five, we see the tongue's destructive nature. It says. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The picture of a forest fire was one that the Jews in Palestine would have been very familiar with. In the dry season, the sparse grass and the low-lying thorn bushes and shrub were dry as tinder. And if they were set on fire, then the flames they would spread across like a wave of which there was no stopping. And similarly, the tongue can figuratively set fire to relationships or communities. A moment of carelessness can cause terrible damage. The tongue, it's like a fire when rumours and gossip spread. As this saying goes, it spreads like wildfire for good reason. Words can be used to slander others. Biting words can be even more destructive than they first appear 
and even more pervasive than anyone could, could suppose. And it's worth noting that once a word is spoken, it's gone, isn't it? It's out of our control. And yet it still needs to be answered for. And so therefore the wise person will think carefully before they speak. Even gifts of the tongue, they can be dangerous. The persuasive tongue can convince ordinary people of almost anything. But what a weapon it can be and what self-control is needed to wield it in order to bless others rather than seek selfish gain. Similarly, while a witty tongue might bring laughter, humour all too often comes at somebody's expense. Verse 6 says this, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Throughout the course of one's life, the tongue promotes evil. Jesus says in Matthew 15 verse 11, what goes into somebody's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth that is what defiles them. So our mouths defile us. They corrupt us. And the tongue, it can create evil. And as Jesus continues in 15 verse 8, 18 even, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these things make the person unclean. So it's the heart, isn't it? That is corrupt since the fall and is the source of the tongue's evil. What ways does the destructive power of the tongue make itself felt? James, he doesn't elaborate any further in this passage, but no doubt you can think of lots yourself. Our recent journey through Proverbs gives us plenty of ammunition. It has many forms, thoughtless chattering, lying, arrogant boasting, gossip. Think what enormous and sometimes irreversible harm can be caused to people by evil speech, such as by unsubstantiated and false rumours. James goes further in verse six, saying that the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. You see, the tongue, it becomes an instrument of Satan himself. Before we assume that for this to be the case, we must be super malicious or bent on evil, then consider this passage in Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23 where Peter, the great apostle, took the Lord Jesus aside to give him the best advice that he could possibly offer and with loving and concerned intentions. Did Jesus express his thanks? No. He replies to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Makes you think, doesn't it? Are our, are our concerns focused on ourselves or are they focused on the concerns of God? We should take serious heed to James's. We see the tongue's untamable nature. Let's read on. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You might spot at this point a bit of a paradox. 
You see the tongue, it has vast influence. And so James says we ought to control it. And yet he also says here that no human can tame the tongue. Somehow we must do something that we cannot do. A clue to the answer to this paradox comes at the start of verse eight, which says no human being can tame the tongue. See, it's only by the mercy of God, with the assistance of God and by the grace of God that it's possible to tame the tongue. Therefore, any headway that we see in this area in our own lives, all the praise is due solely to him. Our third and final P is the possibility of inconsistency. Revealing the unstable and deceitful nature of the tongue, James points out that double-minded people use the same tongue to supposedly worship God and yet slander his people. We read on from verse nine, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This inconsistency is un unacceptable and shows that a stream of deceitful words flows from a corrupt heart, whereas a pattern of wholesome speech emerges from a pure heart. One minute we use the tongue to praise the Lord, the next we use it to curse the hum our fellow human, even though God fashions mankind in his own likeness. See how such behavior is absurd and betrays in a fundamental way the allegiance by which one claims to live. James helpfully uses three questions to reveal this absurdity of the hypocritical use of the tongue and inconsistency that isn't found anywhere else in creation. From verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Of course not. Fresh water is produced from a fresh spring. Fig tree produces figs and vines yield grapes. In other words, the root determines the fruit. The product comes from the source. Thus, our words, which come from our heart, reveal much about our heart. It's absurd for the tongue to act like a spring that wavers between salt water and fresh water, or like a tree that produces coconuts one day and conquers the next day. As verse 10 contends, this should not be. James's point is clear. You don't get good things from a bad source. A person who's not right with God, walking daily in his presence, cannot consistently speak pure and helpful words. Only a renewed heart can produce pure speech. So to summarize, believers must control their speech because the tongue has influence on life for good and for bad, out of proportion for its size. Consequences are grave for teachers, but equally this applies to everybody. As we conclude, I just want to briefly return to the paradox that we touched on a moment ago, that we must control our tongue, and yet we cannot. James, he doesn't solve this riddle in this passage, and we must wait instead, and uh, sorry for whoever's taken this uh, chapter later on, spoiler alert, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, which says, 
that Jesus, that James promises that God will exalt all who humble themselves before him. So as we humble ourselves and admit our helplessness, God will graciously forgive us. Once we realize that God can control what we cannot, we can properly face the failures of speech that reflect the failures of our heart. So what are we to do? Three very brief points. Firstly, let our hearts and our tongues admit that God is holy. To his holiness. Secondly, since God isn't satisfied with mere aspirations, we should ask God to forgive our failings and our vain attempts to earn God's love. See, God, he loves us for his own reasons, for who he is, not for our merits. And third, let's believe in him and receive the loving mercy that he gives. He loves us as a father loves his children, flaws and all. Our tongue may be inconsistent, but our status before him is not. Our performance does not affect God's love for us. So by God's grace, let's use our tongues to bless the Lord and to bless mankind who he made in his image. I'd just like to finish uh, by praying. So let's just pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you that in this passage that we read in James, you remind us that our words, like our hearts, are fallen and corrupt. We are sorry for the ways that our speech has dishonoured you and other people who have been made in your image. May our words instead exalt you and bring you praise. May we be vessels of praising and edification to those who are around us. We recognise that we are hopeless and helpless to do this by ourselves. So we ask you that by your spirit, you renew us and you transform us daily, ever increasingly to be like Jesus in the use of our words. And we fall upon your mercy and your grace. And we pray all this in Jesus, the name of our Saviour and Lord. Amen.